Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the 90s Club Footy Podcast. This week, our special guest is former Richmond Tiger, Nathan Bauer. Nathan, one of three brothers to line up in the yellow and black, was drafted to Punt Road in the 1989 VFL Draft. He spent eight seasons at Tigerland, playing 74 games and kicking 22 goals. In this episode, Nathan talks about playing in the old under-19 VFL competition, his early years at the Tigers, the coaching changes, Richmond's emergency the 1995 season, the VFL system, and domestic basketball with so many great AFL names. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with Nathan Bauer. Nathan Bauer, thank you for joining us on the 90s Club Footy Podcast. Great to have you on and uh, looking forward to having a chat with you, mate. Thanks, Trent. It's a pleasure. Uh, thanks for reaching out. Mate, uh, really interested in your footy journey, but before we sort of start looking at uh, all the footy stuff in your time at the Tigers, uh, what are you doing with yourself you know, post-football? Uh, well, at the moment, I'm managing the Eastern Independent Schools of Melbourne Sports Association, which is a, a fairly low-profile um, sports association, but we've got 21 independent schools out in the east of Melbourne. Um, I manage all their weekly sport, their swimming, athletics, cross-country carnivals. We've got chess, we've got uh, tennis and golf. It's it's a fairly hectic schedule, um, and I've been I've been there since the start of 2020, which is when COVID hit. So my last two years have been very interesting. Yeah, right. And I know you did uh, some work with the AFL Sports Radio um, program as well. Can you tell me a little bit about yeah, how you were involved? Yeah, in well, I'm a qualified teacher. I, I studied whilst I was playing footy and the intention always was to go on and and, and be a primary school teacher post-footy. But, you know, I sort of got into a role, um, a coaching role initially at Bendigo and then found my way sort of across to Victoria University, which then led to AFL Sports Radio. And I was there on and off for... Oh, probably a good 10 years and they do some wonderful things for kids wanting to to work in the sports industry and specifically a lot of the work I was working in was um, with AFL players and their player apprenticeship program which is uh, one of the great initiatives that um, the AFL Sports Treaty Board um, started up back in the 90s and um, I, I managed the very first one I think it was back 2003 might have been um, and that's grown where every pretty much every club in the first year, all their recruits will um, have a taste of of what's needed to be an AFL player. It's not just about kicks, and marks, and handballs. It's about financial management. It's about taking a footy clinic when you go out and being respectful to the kids and the and the teachers. It's about uh, being the best version of yourself. And you know, full credit to the AFL 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 Players Association, AFL Sportry. They've they've really sort of come together on on that program, and it's it's been fantastic. Oh, I love it, mate. Fantastic. Hey, I want to talk about your footy journey with the Tigers. Now, I believe you, your journey with Richmond started in the old under-19 competition, which seems you know, such a long time ago, the TAC Cup or what have been the VSFL you know, initially when it started. Tell me about those days, you know, what it was like playing with Richmond, what was required from you, because I know you're a Mildura boy, you know, in regards to training and um, your commitment to, to playing Richmond under-19s and even what the team was like. I know you had some stars in there as well. Yeah, mate, it was an interesting um, interesting time. I mean, yeah, growing up in Mildura, um, a lot of Mildura-based and St. Raja-based footballers ended up at Mildura because that was our old zone uh, back in the day. And, and two of my older brothers, uh, Brendan and Darren, both ended up 
playing at Richmond um, under the zoning. Um, but I was the youngest one. So by the time I was sort of of that age to, to be considered, uh, the draft had been in. I got drafted in the 1989 draft. Um, and had, you know, on the back of a, what ended up being a fairly successful under 17 Teal Cup um, campaign. And lucky for me, you know, certainly as I saw it, um, I got drafted to Richmond and um, pretty much I got drafted as a 17 year old. So my first two years in Melbourne, I was pretty much playing um, under nine, under 19 footy and reserves. You know, if you did well enough in the under 19s, you got a promotion to the reserves. And that was, that was amazing because you, you got to play at the MCG, curtain raiser to the main game. Um, we, uh, you know, you started to get a bit of a crowd roll in by, by the third quarter. So the last quarter was pumping. Uh, you generally had a couple of big name senior players who were also playing in the reserves with you. And, you know, growing up being a Richmond supporter, then I remember watching the 1980 premiership um, on TV as an eight year old. And, you know, in, by the time I got down there, I got to play with the likes of Dale Waitman and Mark Lee and um, and some of these guys and David Cloak, you know, these guys that I'd idolised and watched on TV as an eight-year-old, I was actually on the MCG playing with them. It was it was surreal. And I know the under-19 team that you played with, I know speaking to you previously, like, gee, some of the names you were running around with, um, you know, we've seen some superstars come from that side. Yeah, well, I've, I've, got, uh, I've got a photo of that under-19 team and I, I go through it from time to time because I know you've spoken to a really good mate of mine, Raiden Tallis. Uh, Radar was in that team. He was a 15 or 16-year-old at that time, a few years younger than me. We had Duncan Calloway. Um, we had Mark Petura, who played some senior footy. We had Nick Daffy, best and fairest winner at Richmond. Uh, we had Matty Clark, who Matty Clark was 300-game player, All-Australian, just an absolute superstar and was a standout Ruckman in under-19 competition. We had Stewie Edwards, who kicked a lot of goals for Richmond as a, as a rookie. Uh, who else? Simon Dennis played senior footy. James Tyson was a premiership player at Adelaide. Ashley Prescott, uh, Simon Garlic, Paul DiMatina. Um, and then we had some really good VFL players. We had Steve Amiot, Tim Scott Brennigan, Adrian Little. Oh, Duncan Calloway, I missed him. How, how could I get him? So, you know, a super, super team. And it was a really good system. You know, you, you sort of felt like you were a team and you were part of a club, whereas I'm, I'm not so sure the kids coming through the pathway programs now would actually feel that because yeah. it's more representative footy. Whereas back then it was, it was club footy. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. Like I know from our region down in Warrnambool, uh, where I'm from, you know, you got the, the greater Western Victorian rebels, you know, made up of players from the Hampton league. And I think, you know, around the Hamilton and Portland areas, but also Ballarat. So I guess, you know, because they're not all in the one team, the one town and so forth, it probably doesn't have that feel like the under 19 competition did because you were that one team. Yeah, and look, it was it was interesting because to to get to get there in the first place. So I think back then, under nineteen, you could still draw on metropolitan-based players who fell in your zone, and you could you could play under nineteen footy. But before the country boys, you know, we had to get drafted into the club, and um, I think now that it, it may be a little bit easier for the kids growing up in Mildura now, or, or perhaps not. I, I'm not really sure on that. I mean, there's a lot of travel involved. We're, Mildura is so isolated from, from everywhere. I remember um, playing Teal Cup and uh, we had Victoria Country training on a Sunday morning at nine o'clock um, at Punt Road Oval. And, um, you know, that just seemed to be what was easiest for the coaches. Uh, Slug Jordan was the coach. And so that's what we did. But 
for, for myself and Matthew Croft, who both came from Mildura and um, both made that team, we'd play senior footy in Mildura on a Saturday afternoon. You know, by the time you sort of finish your post-match chat and had a bite to eat, you'd jump in the car with Brian Waitman, who's uh, Dale's dad, who was the regional development manager. He'd drive us, you know, five and a half, six hours to Ballarat. We'd stay the night, get up at the crack of dawn, uh, have brekkie, drive to Melbourne, train for an hour, and then jump in the car and drive all the way back to Mildura again. And you just had to do it, you know. It's a, it was just the way it is. Um, so, so that was tough. I think now there's scholarships available for Mildura kids, but they've still got to move to Bendigo. It's it's not really much easier, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, no, very interesting. I want to ask you, so you said obviously you are zoned, but you still had to get drafted. So there was no lay-down Mazaire that you were actually going to Richmond, like because you are in their zone. Could have any other club have picked you up, say a Geelong or an Essendon or anyone like that, or did they get first crack at you? No, no, it was um, just been the draft. It was open to, to everyone. I, I'd had spoken to every club that year, and it was only because I'd had a, I'd just had a, everything sort of seemed to come together in that in that draft year. I made the All-Australian Teal Cup side. I was playing OK senior footy back in Mildura. The, the two clubs, in fact, that showed the most interest were St Kilda and, and West Coast. And this is 89, you know, West Coast had only come into the competition in 87. Uh, that seemed like it was the other side of the world to go and play footy over there. And as a 17-year-old, I wasn't prepared to, to to do that. I mean, I think nowadays kids just that they don't ask or they they just go with with what whatever is uh, presented in front of them. Um, but at the time, I was pretty nervous about perhaps going to to West Coast. Um, would have happily gone to St Kilda. Um, really happy with the coaching structure at that stage. But uh, it's just super. Um, super happy to get drafted to Richmond, go to where my brothers were and, and where, where all the blokes that I knew were. Yeah, no, that would have been um, yeah, unbelievable. And what were your brothers' um, reaction and family reaction when the Tigers picked you up? Like, they would have been pretty happy knowing that, uh, you know, you get to continue on that sort of family journey with what Darren and, and Brendan have done. Yeah, they, they were really happy, actually. Um, it's, you know, and it was something that we were we were not just... Richmond supporters, we were pretty passionate Richmond people. And I think because my brothers had been there and you sort of, with that comes a bit of emotion and passion as well. Um, they were really stoked for me. Um, in fact, Darren got delisted at the end of 89, just as I got drafted. So we actually got to, to sort of cross over a little bit. I didn't get to play much footy with Brendan. You know, I played a few reserves games with him uh, across 90 and 91, um, mostly 91, I think it was, but, um, you know, he left Richmond at the end of 91 and went to Essendon and then on to North Melbourne. So we didn't actually spend much time together as, as a set of brothers. Yeah, right. There you go. I was going to ask you, you know, whether you got to play a game with Brendan or not, because I know he played, you know, 80 or 90 odd games with the Tigers as well. I want to ask you about your first pre-season. Can you remember much about it? Was it full on from the get-go or did you, you as a first-year player and players that got recruited with you, have it slightly modified so it wasn't too much too early? No, it was in the deep end. Uh, and I remember, it was my good question, we, we went to Bacchus Marsh and it was, oh, uh, from, from memory, it used to be an old lion park and it became a, like a bit of a training ground for corporates and sort of SAS-style uh, training, which was happening sort of, what we're talking January 1990 now. Um, and for me, mate, it was brutal. It was, I can't remember the name, Shep, I think was his name, but I, I can't remember what his full name was. He used to run it and he was brutal. Um, you know, I remember, bearing in mind, I'm, I'm only 17, um, still not driving, I'm not legal, but I'm, uh, I'm carrying telephone poles 
Um, I'm <laughs> wading through swamps. I'm, we had this game called boxing basketball where you had um, you had one boxing glove and you got to choose which hand you're going to put it on. So you, if you wanted to score and pass and play play basketball well, you'd put the um, glove, the boxing glove on your left hand so you could dribble with your right. But if you just wanted to punch blokes, you put the, the glove on your right hand. <laughs> and, uh, and this was a feed income game and it was full on, like that, no whole bars, you know. And um, as I said, Mark Lee, who was an idol of mine, he's uh, luckily he was in my team, but it, that was the size of the blokes that I was playing this boxing <laughs> basketball against. And the, the great thing was um, there were four teams and the two teams that weren't playing they stood, it was in, in this old shed with big open windows. They were allowed to stand on the outside. And as blokes went past, they were allowed to punch the shit out of them as well with their, <laughs> with their boxing gloves on. So you, it, it didn't take long, you know, a weekend of doing that and, uh, you know, a boy become a man. Who was the, uh, who was the real enforcer in that game? Who was, like at that time? Well, the one that loved it the most was Brian Lees, who, um, you know, really, really good footy story in his own right. He was sort of a, a, a real knockabout, found himself playing full back, fairly strong, but a fairly lazy player, uh, a real lad. Um, but then sort of as as his career wore on, he became probably the fittest bloke at Richmond and uh, was just a real workhorse. But at that point in his career, he wanted to belt blokes and uh, <laughs> he loved it. But it was, you know, it was all really good fun. I, you know, you couldn't get away with it now, but it was it was fantastic then. Yeah, it's funny you say about that Bacchus Marsh facility because I had Simon Hawking, he's a good mate of mine, in the first season. He said that um, Fitzroy did the same thing. They'd go down there. So it must have been popular for amongst some of the footy club, the Melbourne footy clubs to go and do a pre-season you know, session or a week down there. Um, I reckon, the lead up, mate. In the lead up. Yeah, I, I reckon. And it probably wouldn't have been overly expensive either. If you've got to remember, both, well, Fitzroy and Richmond, uh, we were shaking cans at the end of 90, 1990 anyway. So... We didn't have much money to go and jump on a plane and go to Arizona uh, <laughs> and hike up there. So Bacchus Marsh was probably the highest uh, altitude we were probably going to get to at that stage. Now, mate, you played your first senior game in the last round of the 91 season. Um, just looking at the scoreline, it was a pretty high-scoring affair with the yeah. Tigers getting the job done. You kicked a goal in your uh, debut game. And notably, the great David Cloak uh, played and kicked eight goals as well. So what a start to your career to, uh, to playing a game like that. Yeah, well, look, it goes back to what I was saying uh, earlier that, you know, I, 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 Cloakie was a star. You know, he was a great, great player from both clubs, um, played a lot of 40, premiership player, and, you know, I get to play with him. So it, it was terrific. Um, Kevin Bartlett was coach. It was his last game as coach of Richmond, you know, another 1980 premiership player, obviously played in a few more other than that. Um but the days were different then. Like I got named on the bench, um, and if you got named on the bench in today's footy, you'd be on sort of at the seven-minute mark, and you'd be rotated on and off pretty much all game. Well, back then you sat on the bench until you were needed, and I wasn't needed. <laughs> you know, I, I came on at three-quarter time. You know, the start of the last quarter, and that, that's really all I had. Um, but it was huge. You know, the, the Great Southern Stand was in the process of getting built. This end of '91. Um, I went on to a, a bloke that, you know, was carrying a little bit of weight. He um, didn't look like a footballer. Uh, and I thought, I've got this bloke covered. And it was Brett Ratton. So he's, uh, he went on and did okay in footy. Uh, but I managed to get a goal on him. Uh, I know Ange Christou played his first game that day as well. And you mentioned Cloakie. Like, he, he kicked eight. 
And if you can remember Cloakey's kicking style, it was atrocious. It was putrid. You know, not, never once did it ever spin properly, but he's kicked eight inside-out torps and floaters, and for whatever reason, they've just floated through. It's, it was meant to be his day. I did have a look at some YouTube footage to see if I could find, you know, just I'd never really seen much of David Cloak. I was a little bit too young, and you're right, uh, yeah, different kicking style, and um, it was helicopters and a bit of a mixed bag oh. coming off the boot. And they just kept going through. It was, you know, it was just meant to be his day. <laughs> hey mate, during the next two seasons, so I'm talking 91, uh, sorry, 92, 93, you started to build a few more games um, in your repertoire. The team was going, um, I guess the team was going okay from a win-loss point of view at times. Do you, do you feel like you should have probably played, you could have, should have played a few more games than what you did? You know, was your form suggesting that, you know, you probably deserved a few more games, but it was just sort of hard to break into? Yeah, um, good question. Look, I reckon I was pretty lazy at that point. I, I had natural fitness. I was I was quick, and really that that was one of the, the main reasons I used to get a game was because I could run. I was a, I was a wingman um, and had pace, but I was a pretty lazy trainer. And I've got to take some responsibility. When Alan Jeans came into coach in 1992, he was really keen to play the kids. And you know, I just played the last game of of 91. Um, I had knee surgery in the off-season, so I had a delayed start to, you know, pre-season and the season itself. I didn't play my first game until about round six, I think, of of the 92 season. So I managed to play six games that year. I probably should have played more because the coach wanted to play kids. I think he was happy to play me, but I was a pretty lazy trainer. And uh, really for someone who was only really going to get a game because of his leg speed and his fitness, uh, I needed to be fitter than I was. Um, So I, I probably wasted 92, the back end of 92. And and then 93, we had another change of coach. Swooper came in. Um, and, again, same thing. I had a couple of good games, but I wasn't consistent enough. And I think because I didn't push myself hard enough on the training track. I want to ask you about the coaching. So in your first five to six seasons, you had three different coaches, as you as you just mentioned, KB, Alan Jeans, and John Northey. And Jeans, he was only there for the 92 season. Yeah. Was that unsettling for the playing group and even from a personal point of view to try and establish yourself in the team to a, to a degree on top of what you sort of said? Because you know, the Tigers weren't going super at that stage. You've had three different coaches. You know, how did the playing group react to, I guess, a change at the, a change at the top, you know, different game plan, um, you know, different the ways that this, these coaches wanted to go about it? How did the playing group, you know, go handling that? Yeah, I think um, it is unsettling. I think as a, when you're in the moment as a player, you get a bit selfish. So, you you know, certainly as a young player, you've, you're all about trying to get a game as opposed to winning premiership. You know, and that's, that maybe sounds a bit a bit selfish and harsh, but I think that's probably true of most young players. They want to establish themselves and their fairly selfish mindset initially before they get entrenched in the team and they start to think about team goals. So yeah. I think for a lot of us who were young, we were all about, well, am I going to get a game of footy? And um, the off-field stuff, just we just let that run its course. But I suppose you look back at it now, it was a pretty terrible time for the club. They had no stability. They had no money. Uh, chopping and changing coaches meant you had different directions and philosophies and teaching styles. Um, so it was very hard for players to get that consistency in their game. It was very hard for them to sort of know what to expect of each other, the, what role they needed to play in the team. Um but at the time, I think you just you just roll with it because you, you, we didn't know anything else. You know, in the end, I had five coaches across across nine years, and it just became normal. Yeah, that's unbelievable, isn't it? Because then you know you add on 
uh, Robert Walls, who come on and, and coached for a couple of seasons, and uh, Jeff Geeshan was sort of the one that finished around when you uh, completed your AFL journey. So to play under five coaches, it's sort of unheard of a little bit now, isn't it? You know, like, yeah, look at Richard. Yeah, it you know, is now. Dim has been around for a while. Look at Chris Scott's been around for a while. Um, you know, most of the coaches have sort of, um, you know, coached for a little while now that are in the AFL currently. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I of, of the five coaches, the time I enjoyed the most was under John Northy. And I think just because... I'd reached an age where I was starting to understand my body a little bit better. I was training better. Um, I was playing more consistent footy, you know, in and around injuries. But um, I, I liked, certainly from a selfish perspective, I liked my time under under Swooper. And I think as a group, we all did. We all were all getting to that age of 23, 24. Um, we played 50 games. We're starting to know each other's games and how to how to roll and um it was a shame that he left when he when he did because I, I I really think that we were we had something there was a there was an intangible in that team that wasn't necessarily talent because I think there was far more talented lists going around that we wanted to play for each other and we wanted to play for the coach. That was a really interesting circumstance because Northy was coaching you guys, Walls was coaching the Bears, and then it was a direct swap. You know how did that occur? Like what was the the reasoning? Do you understand in how that occurred? I, I don't. I don't know for certain. I really don't. Um, I, I think both. Well, certainly Wolsey um, was on the way out. He, that that was that was common knowledge. I think that was even reported, and he was sort of playing out that he was coaching out the season, um, and he wasn't going to stay on the following year. We didn't know about Swoop though. Um, we we probably looking back it, with hindsight, you'd you'd have to think that there must have been conversations going on behind the scenes between. Brisbane and Swoop because you don't walk out on Richmond on I think it might have been a Friday and then by the Sunday you've signed as coach of Brisbane you know as we know nowadays when you negotiate a, a coaching contract can take months well certainly weeks but but it can take months so I think to get something done that quickly there must have been conversations going on behind the scenes and it, it's a shame because as I said we um we were devastated as a playing group you know we just played in a prelim final in 95 and we got beaten by a much better team on the day, but we we were all young enough and hungry enough to want to sort of back up and we wanted to attack pre-season. We thought we had the right calibre of player and, and that all changed sort of over pre-season or really just changed over, um, over the course of a week post-season. Yeah, it was just an interesting one. I just, you know, like from one coach going to a side and then, you know, replacing the coach, the incoming, it was uh, you know, a different circumstance, that's for sure. I want to talk about the 95 season, Nathan. You know, probably the best in your career in the with games that played. You know, you played nearly almost every game, I think, with over 20-odd. What was yeah. it about that season that brought the best out of you? Uh, my body was right. So I had – I did have troubles with my knees. So I had, um, you know, at the end of 91, just just played my first game, and then I was sort of getting surgery at the end of that year, and I had another operation in 93. Um, but by 95, I was – you know, I was training better. Um I was a little bit older, a little bit more mature. I really wanted to play for Swoop, and Swooper was uh, very much an us-against-them type of coach. You probably would argue that wasn't, you know, compared to some others, wasn't as strategic as others, but was a very emotional coach and knew how to, knew how to use emotion really well. Um, and so we knew we had something, and I think so in that respect. You know, I said before about just, as a young player, you're, you're more selfish, but when you get a few games on your belt, you start to think about the team a little bit yeah, more. And yeah. we, we knew we had something going on that year and it became, I, I liken it to there was a train leaving the station 
and it was going to go to a pretty cool destination and you didn't want to miss that train. So yeah. it made fighting for spots really hard. Um, they had a really good reserves team that year as well. And so everyone was up and about and, and ready for it. And I guess it'd been a while since you guys had actually played finals footy. 82 was the last time you'd played finals and that was when you won the flag, Richmond. Yeah. So from a club point of view, that must have made some really happy people that you, know, you guys have finally broken that short little small drought and started being, um, you know, figuring that back end of the, of the season. Yeah, and we and this was this was the beauty of Swoops coaching is that we I mean we probably when you look at Carlton who ended up winning it and Geelong who who they beat um, and who beat us in the prelim they were on you know on paper both much more talented team than what we were but the beauty of Swoops coaching is that we didn't believe that we we believed that we were in it at, with as good a shot as anyone else um, uh, and so that's that's why it was so disappointing we actually. Uh, we, we lost the first final against North Melbourne, which we should have won. It, um, we were in front and uh, we had a couple of stiff calls go against us, one against me late in the game as well. <laughs> and North Melbourne ended up winning. And had, had we hung on and won that game, we would have been on the same side of the draw as Carlton in the prelim. And, and it's funny to say this now because they only lost two games of the year, I think, but we really ranked ourselves against Carlton that year. You know, some, some teams just match up pretty well. Yeah. We'd had a we'd had a ding dong game uh, earlier in the year. We only played them once. It was neck and neck all day, and then they kicked maybe two or three late ones to to win by about thirty points late in the day um, at the MCG. But we wanted to have another crack at them because we we thought we could have taken them down. Uh, but in the end, we had Geelong, and they had the wood on us. You know, that Gary Senior playing and and a few others. So anyway, it it was uh, it was a great year. We we absolutely loved it. I want to just ask you about the prelim final. I'm uh, not sorry, not the prelim, the semi-final against Essendon. You were five goals down at half time, and you won by 13 points. How uplifting was that for the club? And then going into a prelim final, like um, you know, finals footy is different footy as we know. And yeah. you know, I, don't, I don't know whether five goals felt like a, a lot, you know, in that in that era of footy. But I'll tell you what, though, to come out and win by 13 points against a side like Essendon, who you know won a flag two years before and still a very good footy side. Um, how good was that? Yeah, well, I mean, five goals was, was a lot then and probably probably less so now. Um, but back then you could you could throw blokes behind the ball, you could clog it up if you really wanted to. Um, so five goals was uh, a, a, not an insurmountable uh, lead, obviously, but it was, it was a big lead. But again, Swooper, you know, we came off and we weren't sure whether he was going to lose his nut at us, uh, but he didn't. He, he sort of said, well, look, you know, we couldn't have played any worse than we have in that first half. They probably couldn't have played any better. Yeah, we're 30 points down, but geez, if you make a couple of tweaks, if we if they play 10% worse than they did and we we play, you know, 20% better, we'll catch them. And um, so, again, it was just that one simple message. Uh, again, it wasn't overly strategic, although they did make some moves. He put Scotty Turner up forward, which was which was positive. Um he made a few tweaks. He put Chrissy Nation on the ball, who just uh, up on the wing. Actually, he had nine touches in the third quarter and kicked a goal or two. And we just it was the spark we needed. Um, you know, things started to go our way. And uh, and the great thing about that, yeah, the players enjoyed it. But to see, I don't know if you've seen the footage of the crowd that yeah. day, the the long suffering Richmond supporters, yeah. they were going absolutely bunter. It was fantastic. <laughs> Have you taken that off for Darcy Kokonakis? He went and dropped the old bunter the other night. Yeah. <laughs> <Didn't really laughs> <play. laughs> no, I'm older than him, so he's got it from me, obviously. <laughs> now, I want to ask you just quickly about the prelim against the Cats. Now, the Cats had had the wood on the Tigers for a long time. Yeah. Well, why do you think the Cats 
had that big win was it they were just simply awesome. You guys didn't play as well as what you you know you could have had just run out a little bit out of a bit of petrol, you know, heading into you know your third final. How do you sort of how did you sort of assess you know the performance and and why you know the cats come out so strong? Yeah, all, all of that, mate. Um, possibly from an emotional point of view, we might have played our grand final the week before against Essendon, you know, coming from behind and and we celebrated, you know, it was joyous. And then, you know, they had the wood on us. We it was just for a long time and and long long suffering Richmond people will know that through the eighties. And into the 90s, Geelong and Richmond, it was a bloodbath. It was, you know, we couldn't even get close to them. They had Gary Senior, who was just the best I'd ever seen, uh, just an absolute freak. Their, the age of their players was probably three years older than us on average, so they'd been around the, yep. you know, the world a little bit longer. Um, it just it just was the matchup wasn't right for us, and that's why we were a bit... Bit dirty. We didn't get Carlton on that on that prelim instead of instead of the Cats. <laughs> now, can I ask you about one incident? This is one of my favourites, and I remember it vividly. You know, I'm a Geelong supporter, so I remember the game. Michael Gale kicked it the wrong way. It might have been the third quarter. I reckon you were playing half back, and you were yeah. one of the players that had to defend it because you were number 22. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. What was uh, what was the response from yeah the playing group after the game? Was there a bit of banter hanging a bit of the proverbial on on Michael Gale about it or? Yeah, we let him know. But Butchie Gale, just a, a champion man, uh, a lovely fella, and good fun. Uh, but it just was indicative of the, of the day we had. You know, we yeah. we weren't we weren't getting close to them, and just and that was just you know Butchie Butchie's a pretty good, honest, smart footballer. Um, for him just to have a brain explosion and just go completely the wrong way uh, didn't do, do us any favours, but. <laughs> Yeah, we let him know, mate. Afterwards, and we only took about an hour or so. Once, once we got over the over the disappointment, we were pretty keen to hang shit on him. Yeah, no, I love it, and I just would. I wanted to know what uh, you know what the feedback was from the the playing group. You know, after you sort of you know get away from what the result was and stuff, because you just don't see that very often now, do you? Like some no. players, you know, some players still do it, but it, you don't see it all that often. And I just thought, yeah, that was a bit of a funny moment from the game, which was probably not the best day for the for the Tigers. No, big, big stage, lots of eyeballs on him. Uh, completely <laughs> stuffed it up. <laughs> it hey, was just our day. 96, 97, 98, I think he played 11, 3 and 9 games. You had another two coaches, Wolsey and Jeff Geeshan. Um, yeah, yeah what, was, what was sort of the reason there? Did, you know, were your knees playing up again? Was it hard to try and impress those two guys that have come in and taken the, the mantle at Richmond? You know, what's, you know, why didn't we see you play a few more games, do you think? Uh, no, I had, um, so, as you say, back in, uh, 95 was a good year for me. I, I turned 23. I got 50 games under the belt. I played 20 in 95 and things were starting to, to roll on. And then in 96, Wolsey came in. I, I played however many games um, and then tore my quad in a game and I missed a couple of weeks with a torn quad. Yep. Um, nothing too serious. You know, quaddies are those injuries that um, you can play through them, but they just get progressively worse because you, you've got to kick the ball. And as soon as you kick it, you, you re-tear it. Yeah. So you can run with a torn quad, but you can't kick with one. So anyway, I had a couple of weeks rest and then sort of got back in the seniors and I think it was the first game back I um, did my knee had a, and had to have a knee recoat. So 96 was a, a year of um, injury and certainly a, a recoat just put you out then for the rest of the year and made a slow start to the, to the pre-season in 97. And then in 97, my first game back in the seniors, uh, I think it was my first game back, I tore my Achilles. Oh, geez. So, uh, so I, I, you know, ninety after the 
you know, the year we'd had in and the personal run I'd had in 95, then 96 to have a Rico and 97 have an Achilles. For a running player, you know, I'm only getting a game because I can run uh, and not to be able to do that, it just put those two seasons, you know, in the in the bin. I couldn't I couldn't do much about it. And then by the time 98 rolled around, which was my last year, I'm not you probably know the stats better than me. I played either nine or 11 games and um, I was on the outer from the, from the outset um, because I'd pretty much missed two, two years of footy yeah. um, le- leading up to it. Were you sort of expecting the conversation that came to say, listen, you know, you're not in our plans going forward yeah. yet? So you sort of set I'd, yourself up for that? I Yeah, I was prepared. Well, I thought I was prepared for it and I knew it was going to happen. But then when you hear the words, it still comes as a bit of a shock because, yeah. you, you know, you put it all of your childhood dreams are about playing footy. And then when you get to do it, you think it's going to last forever. And, um, and then even though I was a realist and I, you know, we, we certainly blokes from our generation were well prepared for life after footy. It still came as a bit of a shock when you actually heard it. And I was 26 at the time. So I've been in the system for nine years. I still thought I was young enough to keep going and there was no interest anywhere else. So I went and um, I coached in the VFL for the next two, two years. Good segue, mate, because I want to ask you about the VFL. You uh, you coached the Benigo Diggers in the VFL. Um, what was the experience like? They were a pretty, they were a side that were, I guess, had a short short um, history in the yeah. competition. What was the experience like with them? Oh, I was a bit naive with it, to be honest, and probably not ready. Um, probably not ready to coach. You know, twenty six year old going to coach men. Um, and I'd, I'd played footy at the highest level, but I probably didn't quite understand what it took to manage people um, like that. Uh, and that, that probably comes with maturity. Uh, and probably naive also because I just assumed, coming from the northwest part of Victoria, I just assumed that everyone, every football community in the northwest part of Victoria would embrace the Bendigo Diggers and would send their brightest and their best down to play. Yeah. Um, but of course that wasn't the case and I get that because local clubs were saying, well, no, we, you know, we want to hold on to our best talent here. We, we'd we rather pay them 500 bucks to, to come play with us every Saturday than send them over your way where you're probably going to, because we had a very tight salary cap, you might pay them 150, 200 bucks. They've got to train three times a week. They've got to travel every second weekend to, to Melbourne. They've got to play on Sundays pretty much all the time. Um, it was really hard recruiting and, and we won... I think two games in the first year and one game in the second, and uh, it was it was really tough going. The VFL competition is really interesting, Nathan. I just and I want to get your thoughts on this. I just to me it seems like it's a little bit behind the sandful and the waffle. And you know, I guess you know Victoria is the, the homeland of, of you know AFL football. And I guess you know an example is and looking at some of the young ones that have been delisted at the season's end of last year. I look at Oscar Brownless from Geelong, Paddy Nash from. From Richmond, I know you probably know Paddy pretty well, and young bloke from my area, Jay Rantel, was delisted by Collingwood. These guys have gone over and selected a play in the Sandful with uh, you know Woodville and a few of these sides. Rather than staying local to keep their dream alive, they've gone into state. You know why is that the case? Is it the VFL competition's just not strong enough, and is there no confidence in that part of the system? I don't know. The VFL system is flawed. And uh, my last year of coaching in the VFL was the very first year, 19, in, sorry, 2000, was the first year where the AFL clubs either came in as a standalone team to play in the VFL or they aligned with an existing VFA slash VFL team. So we had the Box Hill Hawks, you know, in their first year. But then we had Carlton and Collingwood playing the reserves team pretty much in the VFL. Then you had the Bendigo Diggers, you had the Murray Bush Rangers at the, that stage, you had the Frankston Dolphins. So you had a system that was 
inequitable. You know, we, we had a salary cap of like 100000 um, bucks. We were made up of uni students, plumbers, teachers, um, you know, local kids wanting wanting to play. You, you play against um, a VFL, uh, sorry, a um, an AFL aligned team or an AFL reserves team, and you've got players that are on three times as much as what your whole salary cap is. Mm. So you couldn't, it's not a fair and level playing field. And that's 2000. You know what, mate, nothing's changed in 20 odd years. The VFL is still inequitable, and it's. I don't think it's sustainable. And I think what we're seeing with those boys you've mentioned, you know, what's why should they stay in the VFL? They've uh, they've done really well. Those all those boys you mentioned have done really well in their own right playing VFL footy. It hasn't got them redrafted. So if you you know that, that's the definition of insanity. If you keep doing the same thing, expect a different outcome. So I, I think. That's smart to go to the sandfall or the waffle. You've, you've got to get out and um, and go to a system which is equitable. Everyone's playing by the same um, field, and and it's a it's a club environment. I'm not so sure you're getting that so much at the VFL. Yeah, just interesting. I just yeah, I sort of thought you know like you know you know Brownless obviously was at Geelong. You know why wouldn't he stay at maybe playing VFL at Geelong and then you know. He has a good season, you know. Someone like you know a Footscray or a St Kilda or whoever, or even Geelong might say, "Oh, yeah, we might we might redraft you, or whatever." Not, but it just seems like a lot of these guys see the waffle and the sandfall is just a better option. I think it is, and and look, I haven't done the it's a question without notice, but I reckon if you did some if you did some background research, there there might be a trend towards players coming re-entering the AFL system after being at the waffle or the sample more, more over than the um, the VFL. I'm, look, I'm not sure on that, but I just that just seems to be the way it is at the moment. Mm. Mate, on a lighter note, and you spoke about earlier that you're uh, great mates with a, a guest I've had on the podcast in Raiden Tallis from Hawthorne. Now, he gave me a little bit of background information, says that, uh, you know, you fancy yourself as a bit of a basketballer, mate. I want to ask you about Chiefs basketball team that you headlined. I hear you're a very formidable lineup and a feed unit at MSAC for a few seasons. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mate. Uh, look, self-appointed marquee player of the Chiefs. Um, we played in the heady, heady D-grade league on a Thursday night uh, against all sorts of people. Uh, it was so much fun, I tell you. We, I mentioned before I worked at AFL Sportrity for a few years and we had colleagues at AFL Sportrity, including Chris Nash, Paul Broderick, Steve Alessio, uh, we had Peter Flandia there. He was too small. We didn't get him to play basketball. He was no good. Um, and then we had Benny Gale, who was chief of the um, AFL Players Association at the time, who we saw a lot of. Raiden, of, Raiden Tellus, of course, worked there. So we had this we had this team of blokes that all sort of worked together. They ended up playing basketball together on a, on a Thursday night. And then we had a cast of thousands come and join in and play. I know Fev played a couple of games as a fill-in. Uh, Stewie Edwins, I mentioned before, Matty Knights has played, Chris Bond has played. I got my brother to come and play one time. Um, Daniel Harford played. Uh, Mark Graham was, was a regular. <laughs> David Lights. It was a bit of a who's who. You know? Probably Cesar Alessio and Nashi were the only two fair income players who'd played a bit of basketball in their time. Um, but I, because I was responsible for writing the newsletter, um, I had... What's the what's the journalistic license just to to you know, talk of the best players each week? And of course, I'd put myself forward, uh, whether I scored points or not, and pretty much hung shit on everyone else who was uh, who was playing in the game as well. So, well, it was it was such good fun. We we loved it. 
Oh, I'll tell you what, that's unbelievable. What were the what were the sides that you come up against saying, oh, jeepers, look at these blokes. Six AFL fellas. We've got Alessio stand at probably six seven, Gale at stand at six five, you know, Loats six eight, six nine. Yeah. Well, what we what we lacked in basketball ability and, and now we just made up for it sheer size. And and you know, it was it was all a bit of fun for us. And pretty much almost Weekly, you could guarantee that we'd be down at half time, and the old competitive juices would start to flow, and the you know where the pride would start to kick in, and we say, "Well, stuff this, boys. We're not going to lose to these blokes." And then there was then there you know almost every week there'd be a bit of argy bargy in the second half, and uh, the big boys were, were playing tall and being physical, and then all of a sudden the game started to open up for us. But it was uh, yeah, that that's just how it played out every week. Out of the players that played, and you've named some absolute superstars in there, who was the biggest star and maybe who was the biggest battler on the basketball court? Well, Cesc Alessio was the biggest star. Uh, helps when you're, I think you're 6'7 or 6'8 um, and and knew what you're doing. And probably the, the biggest battler would have to be another one of our big boys, Benny Gale. Um, didn't look like a basketballer wasn't a basketballer's um, backside. He had the old canvas uh, Converse shoes that were basketball shoes. I think he um, used to shoot underarm like Richie Cunningham from Happy Days. Um, he was just hopeless, absolutely hopeless, and we loved it. We, we loved that he was really bad because he's so good at everything else, but he's terrible at basketball. Well, I'll tell you what, he's a bloody great CEO. You'd be wrapped with what he's done with the Tigers currently. Oh mate, he's he's a superstar. Um, he, he's I say to people he's he's easily the most impressive person I've met in footy. You know, he he's got a real love for the game, and I'm not sure all of our administrators in the AFL have that. They, they have a love of the corporate life and the corporate ladder, but Benny's genuine with his love of the game, and and obviously the Tigers, which helps. But what I say to people, you know, you could put him in the the outer at the MCG. You could have a 50-year-old Tiger supporter um, from the Housing Commission flats in Richmond sitting next to him on one side. He could have the Prime Minister of Australia sitting on his other side and he'd engage happily with with both and hold his own with both. He's just uh, he's a superstar. Yeah, he's done a great job, him and Peggy O'Neill and, uh, you know, Dimmer and these guys over that success. Mate, I'm going to give you a couple of quick handballs. I really have enjoyed our chat, mate, just your honesty and, and your reflections of your time at the Tigers. First thing I'm going to ask you is I'm going to give you five names and I want you to share a sentence or a few words or even yep. just a word on these individuals that I, I, I mentioned now. So the first one's going to be Big Richo, Matty Richardson. Hardly sleeve, passionate, uh, a real sook, but um, just just loves, you know, just loves his teammate, loves his club. Um, a joy, absolute joy to play with, hilarious um would would give you the biggest spray he'd be leading to the pocket with five blokes on him and you choose another option because obviously that's the wrong option and he'd give you the biggest spray for not kicking it to him that's just how he was he just wanted to be involved in everything every single play he wanted to be there but uh yeah a joy to, to play footy with i'm going to go up to the other end of the ground in the defensive end uh this fella had one of the greatest haircuts back in the you know, i reckon the 93 94 95 season paul bullis Oh, Sticks Bullis, a very accomplished drummer in his own right. Uh, one of the loosest units, uh, just h- hilarious. Just 
just thinks if you th- the 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 fictional character I liken him most to is Kramer of Seinfeld. <laughs> he just could float in and float out of conversations, say something, you'd just look at each other in astonishment. Um, I never think I'm going to give away his trademark here, but he was <laughs> this, this sums him up. He was very keen to to make and market um, and sell in pet shops eyebrows for birds. He said, uh, you never know with pet birds, you never know what they're thinking. With dogs, you sort of know. Uh, but he wanted to make eyebrows that you could somehow clip onto birds so that they could have some sort of expression. <laughs> that sums him up. I've given away his dream. He's probably going to lose means now that I've, that I've said that. Well, mate, I did uh, find a contact for him then not long ago, so I'm actually going to try and engage and see whether I can get him onto the podcast, and that would be one of the yeah. hot questions I will ask him. I'll ask him. You'd have to ask him. Now, I've heard about birdie brows. Uh, where, where are they at in, in production? <laughs> mate, uh, Duncan Calloway was one of my favourites. Uh, you knew what you were going to get each week with, uh, with Calloway. Yeah. He was just a superstar. Yeah, bravest player I ever played with. Um, crazy brave. It ran through the Callaway family. You know, he's, you know, Lockie, who's an older older brother, who was a very very good under nineteen player at Collingwood and um, and with Sandringham the VFL. Andy Callaway, of course, didn't know any other way. But because Duncan's my age and I played under nineteens with him and you know seniors and reserves with him, to see him up close, you know what he couldn't kick. You know, he was a he was a horrible. Uh, kick of the footy you know for it took me all of the first pre-season I was I was looking at this bloke and I thought geez good on him he's persevering with that left foot it's you know he's, it's his opposite foot he's, he's going to try and make it better so he's using all the pre-season to try and kick on his left to make it better I didn't know that was his dominant foot that's <laughs> that's how bad he was but you know super brave in the air a great concentration um, aspect to his game he tagged really well he, he played he could tag on ballers. He played centre half back on Wayne Carey very successfully. He played full back on um, Gary Senior very successfully as well, um, and a very humble guy too. W- one of the really nice guys. Matty Knights. Yeah, he's a he was a freak. He uh, was you know that '95 final. Richmond people would know this. It was you know on his boot alone. He kept us in the game. You know, we if not for him, we would have been more than five goals down at half time. Um, was a captain when perhaps he didn't really want to be because of Tony Freeze's injury to his knee um, and was a young captain, but he's a deep thinker. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I know he's coaching footy uh, over with the Eagles now. Um, I think it was a tough gig for him to coach Essendon after Sheeds. And I think whoever coached Essendon after yeah, Sheeds was on a hiding to nothing. Um, so he did that. He had to move a couple of bigger names on in that time as well. So Lloyd and Lucas were players that that were delisted under his watch, which you know didn't go down too well with with Essendon fans. But they're the hard calls that coaches need to make. He's been at really good institutions like um, um, what Geelong and, and now West Coast. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back at some stage as senior coach. He's, he's more than capable and a real deep thinker. Is there a favourite game or memory that you have from your time at the Tigers? Uh, well, the 95 final, definitely. But I think other than that, mate, the, just your first game, you know, really it just culminates um, all those boyhood dreams. And because I barracked for Richmond as a kid and then I'm, I'm there at the end of the day helping carry David Cloak off, which took a few of us, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't in the best shape when he finished up. Um 
but to run out there with with those sort of guys at the MCG, um, that's still really vivid memory, really, really vivid. Um, so, look, I, I, I can pretty much remember most games um, because there weren't that many of them, to be honest, but... Um, I think everyone had every game, the wins and the losses, they had something that was a little bit special about them. This one I really uh, always find intriguing when I ask this question. Who was your favourite character or characters that you knocked around with at the footy club? You know, who are the ones that, you know, we might be surprised that, you know, had a few antics under their sleeve, you know, didn't mind playing a practical joke. Was there anyone or just, you know, was good on the, on the juice on a Saturday night when you were able to drink back then? You know, was there any great characters that you, you want to share with us? Yeah, all, well, lots of really good mates because um, we were all about the same age. We ended up having 21st together. We got engagement parties together. We got married together. We started having kids together, same age. Um, so so some guys that I've spent a lot of time with um, as, as a mate but then also with families, um, Scotty Turner and Chris Bond, um, the, our three families would, would often travel to Queensland at the end of each footy season and, and hang out together. So our kids know each other really well. Chrissy Nash is obviously a really close mate because we work so closely together at um, AFL Sports Ready and Brodders. Um, Radar's a, a great mate, but he you know played all of his senior career at uh, at Hawthorne. Benny Gale, I still see a little bit of, not as much as I'd like to, because he's just so busy. Um, yeah. um, you know, Wayne Campbell, I'm really good mates with, but. He's uh, he's up working with the Suns now, and he's been at uh, GWS, and you know he's had other fairly big roles at the AFL and uh, and other clubs. So I, I think, yeah, we we were really lucky. We had a group of guys that if we all put us in the same room again, we'd just pick up where we left off, you know, twenty five years ago, because um, we're all at that same stage of life. Mate, last question I'm going to ask you is, uh, you know, do you still follow the Tigers pretty intently? Um, you know, do you go and watch, you know, when you can? Obviously, COVID's been a little bit hard the last couple of years, but do you get to a few games and be a part of the Tiger Army? I, I haven't been able to, well, obviously, the last two years I haven't been able to really get to any. I think I went to one last year at Easter time, um, maybe one the year before, but obviously COVID's hit, so that's that's not unusual for anyone, really. Um, I'm fairly fairly involved with my own kids' footy nowadays. So, you know, well, and also they play basketball on a Friday night and domestic basketball on a Saturday, and then they've got footy on a Sunday. So if I, you know, if I go to the, any of the Richmond games, I'm going to give up what I'm going to with their sport. Yeah. So that, that'll run its course. I'll probably get to more footy games again in the, in the future as, as the kids get a little bit older. Um, for, for 12 years, when I came back from Bendigo, for 12 years I hosted one of the, one of the coterie rooms at Richmond where the, all the player sponsors. So I had a pretty good run of pretty much going to every single home game and a few other away games uh, for 12 years solid. So I've probably enjoyed just stepping back a little bit and just focusing more on the kids at the moment. Is he going all right though, the Tigers? You would have been proud as punch when 2017 and then 19 and then 20 come along. But that first one as a, you know, a mad Richmond man, you know, your family grew up as Richmond people. You know, you played with the Tigers, your brothers played the Tigers and, to finally break that drought from 80, 82, um, it must have been surreal. Yeah, it was pretty special, mate. I, I, I've got to admit, I cried like a baby. That I, I was actually, I, I was working for Cricket Australia at the time um, in 2017, and I was up in Sydney doing some um, doing some player education work with, with one of our underage teams for, for New South Wales. And I had to make a mad dash. The only place that was playing AFL on that Friday night on the TV was the Rudy Hill RSL. <laughs> and it, this, this was the this was the first final that Richmond played Geelong, 
So I made it there just before half time and I sat in the darts room of the Rudy Hill RSL watching the smallest TV in the venue because they all had rugby league everywhere else. Yeah, yeah. And there was myself and two other guys who were actually playing darts and um, and I loved it. Cried like a baby. It was just brilliant. And I think because it was Geelong as well because they were the tormentors of me in my career and my yeah. brothers during their career and, uh, you know, they knocked us out in 95 to, to then beat Geelong in that first final. I actually... I knew I knew after that win that Richmond were going to win it. Yeah, yeah, everything went right that night. I was there that game. You know, Townsend was kicking goals, and yeah, all your A graders were just uh, dominating. And, and I guess you know that culminated in that flag in in seventeen, where the same thing sort of happened. Yeah, it was it was amazing. It really was. It was, uh, and I think the club, and I think through Benny again, they they acknowledged that the torment that fans had been through and and former players had been through over the journey, and um, everyone was really proud of what the club had achieved. Nathan Bauer, it has been an absolute pleasure listening to your footy story. Really appreciate it, and thanks for joining me on the '90s Club Footy Podcast. Good on you, Trent. I really appreciate it, mate. Thanks for the chat. That's the end of episode number eighteen. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can catch them all on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're on all the social media platforms, so drop us a line on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter on any particular episode you've enjoyed or a guest you'd love to hear. Next week, we catch up with a former Brisbane Bear who is well-known in the American football punting circles. 